Okay, good morning. As I said, it's great to be back after uh, a little too long a hiatus because of conflicts, but hopefully we'll be able to, to get some consistency for a few weeks. We have the privilege this Shabbos of uh, continuing Sefer Midbar with the parsha of Shlach. And what I want to focus on this morning is going through the psukim <clears throat> of the very difficult episode of the Mekoshesh Eitzim. But before we get to that, as is our custom, we'll uh, give a brief overview of the parsha to give us a sense of context. And here in Sefer Bamidbar, as undoubtedly uh, you've been following, just listening to the Torah reading, Sefer Bamidbar is, you know, it's hard to say you have favorites among the Chumashim. But Bamidbar's narrative is so rich, the storylines unfold, and you feel the development of the Jewish people through their adolescence. We've gone from a family in Bereshis to a, uh, a nation in Sefer uh, Shmos to a sacred nation, a Goy Kadosh, a Mamlachas Kohanim, in Sefer Vayikra, and now, while until now it's been uphill, we go down. Sefer Bamidbar is a little bit of a regression. It's a little bit of a step back before we can continue to ascend. Because as we hit our adolescence, when we've somewhat gotten used to the experience of, of liberty, of emancipation, we've achieved the freedom from the slavery of Mitzrayim, the Jewish people go through an adolescence where they take so much for granted, they begin to complain, they begin to challenge leadership, they begin to challenge Gersh Baruch they begin to take things for granted. And it becomes a very, very uh, a difficult time. And uh, here in Parsha Shlach, of course, is the pinnacle of that, which leads not only to consequences that uh, resulted in years of wandering through the desert and of pushing off the entrance to Eretz Yisrael, the fulfillment of God's vision of the combination of Eretz Yisrael, Am Yisrael, Torah Yisrael, a Jewish people guided by a Torah, living in our homeland, serving as the ultimate microcosm, the ultimate laboratory for the world to see. The Jewish people were to go right into Israel and set up a, an ethical and honest army and judiciary system and police force and farming system, agricultural system. Had we gone straight into Eretz Israel, straight into Israel, we would have applied all of Jewish law, all of the Torah's vision, and we could have become a light for the world to see what it means to live in this world, how to interact with, with earth and soil, how to interact with one another, how to interact with law, how to interact with time, how to interact with space. And it was the episode of this week's parish of the Meraglim that not only pushed off that uh, destiny, but it's haunted us since then. Because as we know, the night the spies came back was what date on the Jewish calendar? Tisha B'Av was the 9th of Av. And that became dedicated as an inauspicious day on the Jewish calendar in perpetuity, forever and ever. In fact, I'll tell you a, a great a great Torah uh, Rav Shechter has from Rabbi Salavechik. I think it's in a Sefer Eretz HaTzvi. Might be in Be'ek Ve'atzom, but I think it's in Eretz HaTzvi. We have a principle when it comes to the laws of Avelis. Miktza Sayom Kekula. Part of the day counts as the whole. Which is why the seventh day, the seventh day of Shiva, the mourner gets up in the morning. We don't sit seven complete days. But right after davening in the morning, if there's davening, if there's no davening, early in the morning, someone says, Hamakam. We extend words of comfort and the mourner gets up. Why? Because we have a principle. Niktas hayom kikulo. Part of the day is as if it is the whole day. When we say that we have to sit shiva seven days, who says the entire seven days? Niktas hayom kikulo. Part of the day is the entire day. We apply that to the seventh day. We apply that to the thirtieth day, to Shloshim. We don't apply that to the end of the twelve months. But Miktas hayom kikulo. So I ask, believe it or not, some of the commentators, why don't we say Miktasayom Kikulo for Tishabov? Wouldn't that be great? Sit down in the morning, dive in a little bit, say a few kinos, and shine Miktasayom Kikulo. I sat shiva a little bit, I get up, 
go for a walk around the block, be taken out of our collective shiva, we could be having brunch. Maybe not breakfast. By brunch, we're up and Tishabav over. Why don't we say Miktasayom Kakulo on Tishabav? And there is actually a big discussion about this. For some reason I remember the Dvar of Ram having a pshat, the uh, the uh, Kovna Rabbi, um, I think Rav Shechter quotes, but Rabbi Salavitchik had an interpretation. And he said, Miktasayom Kakulo we apply to days superimposed on the calendar. Morning is not calendaric. Nobody schedules, God forbid, in five years from now, on uh, the 17th of Sivan, uh, there'll be a sitting shiva. It's not a function of the calendar. Morning and the seven days that accompany it, or 30 days or 12 months, are superimposed on the calendar. But they're not calendaric, they're not a function of the calendar. And because they're not a function of the calendar, we therefore have the flexibility to say, part of the day is as if the whole day. But if it's a function of the calendar, as Tisha B'Av is, it's ridiculous to suggest and why is Tisha B'Av a function of the calendar? The morning of Tisha B'Av is not like any other morning superimposed on the calendar the morning of Tisha B'Av is woven into the fabric of the calendar why? because the spies came back and reported that night negatively about the land of Israel they introduced a toxic atmosphere in the Jewish people. God said, you have a Bechia Shalchinam, you cry for no reason, I'll give you a Bechia Doros. I'll give you a reason to cry in perpetuity for generations. He designated that day as the inauspicious day on our calendar, and I don't have to remind you what has happened throughout our history. From the destruction of the two temples, to the expulsion from Spain, to significant days in the Inquisition, in the Holocaust. God's promise has been fulfilled. So it's not superimposed on the calendar. Tisha B'Av is a day. It's 24 hours of, of cursing, of curse, of inauspiciousness, if that's a word. It's a 24-hour day designated negatively for us. So the mistake of the Maraglam, their failure, did not only hurt their generation, but continues to haunt us until today. And of course, that's the primary story of our parasha. So very quickly... There's a command, Shlach Lecha Hashem. Rashi tells us, Lecha Ladatcha, Ani Eini Mitzavalach. You know, because you could look, in our Haftorah, we have the story of Yehoshua sending not 12, but how many spies? Two. Our Pasha, 12 are sent. In our Haftorah, Yehoshua sends two spies. Who are the two spies? Kalev, who was the successful one with him here, and... Pinchas. Pinchas is the second. Kalev and Pinchas. So why is Yehoshua lauded? Yehoshua is praised for sending spies later. And yet here, of course not. Of course the difference is that Yehoshua, it was suggested by the Almighty. Here it was the people's initiative. It was their lack of trust. In fact, Moshe seems to be instigate. And yet later in Sefer Dvara, Moshe says, You hurt me! You damaged me when you forced me to send those spies! How could Moshe suggest that later? Is a whole discussion in Sefer Dvara. But in any case here, we have uh, 12 spies being sent. These are not just average men. These are Anashim Chashuvim, Rashi tells us. These are men of great stature, great prominence, great prestige. It's easy for us to dismiss this episode and say, eh, they spoke Lashon Hara about the land. Eh, they were afraid, insecure, paranoid. But these were great men. 
This is the Mawatis Gedoli Torah being sent on a mission to see Israel to come home and say, we don't trust Hashem. We don't have faith that we could conquer the land. It doesn't add up. So we've studied in the past. We'll study again another time. What was their real failure? Where did they really go wrong? But all I'll tell you for now, suffice it to say, not nearly as simplistic as it may sound. Even before they go, Moshe Davins for Yehoshua, changes Yehoshua, Hoshea bin Nun. Yehoshua adds the letter Yud, and we know Kalev goes to to uh, stop on the way into Eretz Yisrael to Davin in Hebron, Marasamachpela, and to invoke the merit of our great patriarchs. Well, how did the other Nasiyah by Why was there a turnover in the Nasiyah? I don't know. Yeah, there was a turnover. <laughs> they come back and they investigate the land. They come back, they report negatively. Kalev tries to interrupt, intercede. He's shot down. National hysteria ensues. They cried that night. To which a Baruch said, You have a Bechia Shachinam. You're crying for no reason. I'll give you a reason to cry. And uh, let's go back to Egypt. What's going on? By the way, you see the concept of the tipping point. You see the concept of peer pressure. We see the concept of crowd pressure. What happens? Twelve people influence two to three million. It continues to happen until today. The wrong people can have an impact when they say the wrong thing, when they inject the wrong uh, culture. The negative impact that could ensue is, is tremendous. The people couldn't be um, satisfied, appeased, and the Jewish people are threatened what? with extermination. Baruch, just hold, hold the question. I just want to get through a little bit. And uh, for the sake of the listeners at home, but uh, we'll come back to the questions. So Moshe Davins on behalf of the Jewish people, Kadosh Baruch Hu accepts Moshe's tefillah. We have the formulation of this uh, tefillah, which Kadosh Baruch Hu accepts. It seems this is now the cycle that we're caught in. Jewish people fail. God can't take it. Moshe intercedes on their behalf, but of course, the great decree is handed down that they're going to wander for 40 years. The number 40 is not insignificant. 40 is a very meaningful number. 40 are the days that Noah, in the, in the Teva of the rain, 40 days and 40 nights. 40 are the days that Moshe is on top of Harsinai. 40 here are the years that we wander in the desert. 40 is not uh, insignificant. It's actually... What? Yeah, land 40 years. There's, 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 uh, 40 is a significant number. Once heard, you know, when it comes to every letter, when you spell out the name of the letter, Aleph is Aleph Lamed Pei. Right? There's only one letter that is a repeat of the same letter. And that is the letter Mem. Mem is spelled Mem Mem. Mem. It's the only letter. Um, even, even Nun is Nun Vav Nun. So letter Mem, the inside is the outside. The way it's spelled is the way it is. It's the idea of, of becoming consistent internally and externally. It's going through a transition, going through a, a rehabilitation to become consistent internally and externally. So the number 40 is not insignificant. Okay, so now you have a whole group who, though it's too late, say, you know, never mind, let's go up. We should be going. Because Baruch, of course, tells them that's the wrong thing to do. We're introduced to the Nesachim, which seem very out of place here. The, uh, the Mincha and the, uh, and the Nesachim. Why is it offered here? Should be in Sefer Vayikra. What's it doing here? Then we have the Mitzvah in our Parsha of Chala. When they come into the land, there's a Mitzvah of Chala. Today's Daf Yomi. Discuss the Mitzvah of Chala and the different measurements. It's always amazing how the Daf and the Parsha seem to be entirely uh, 
aligned. It's not a coincidence. So the mitzvah of challah, when making, not only bread, when making dough, even if it's mizonas, cookies, cake, when making dough, one has to separate a portion. Uh, it was given to the Kohen in the time that we had Kohen and Miyuchasim, when we knew who Kohen and were, that their lineage was intact. Today we no longer give to the Kohen, but we burn that, that portion in the, uh, in the oven. Um, the notion of idolatry, and then we get to our section we're going to look through with the Makoshish Eitzim, and the Parsha concludes with the third paragraph of Shema with Tzitzis. Of course, a great um, important study, which we're not going to do, is to try to understand the theme of the Parsha. How does one section lead to the next? It seems like a somewhat random string of events. We go from the failure of the Maraglim to Nesachim, the Karban Mincha, to Mitzvah of Chala, to the Makoshesh Eitzim, to the, uh, to the Mitzvah of Tzitzis. What does one thing have to do with another? There's no random placement in the Torah, but the placement in the Torah is all given in order to communicate a message, so that's for another time. But I want to study this difficult par- stu- portion of the Makoshesh Eitzim, and it's a very difficult portion. The, this uh, page 816. Page 816, 817, Perak Tezvav, Pasuk Lamed Beis. We're going to read right now. The Jewish people were in the desert. And they found a man gathering wood on the Shabbos day. Now, right away it should strike you a number of oddities about this Pasuk. Number one, what do you mean by Yubin Yisrael Bamidbar? Why do you have to tell me where they were? That's where I know they are. We've just read an entire Parsha about where they are. Not only that, we learned why they're there and why they will continue to be there for many more years. So why not just say that the Jewish people, you know, just start with the episode. They found somebody gathering wood. Why first tell us where geographically they are? And they found this man. Who is this man? Do we know his identity? Do we know who he is? Mikoshish hates him. What happens? They bring him close. Which is another strange language. What do you mean, Vayakrivu? Vayakrivu usually shows some form of affection. Vayakrivu is usually a positive description. Why Vayakrivu? El Mosheve Laron Vayakolaida. Could say Vayaviu. Vayaviu means to bring against his will. Vayaviu means to arrest. Vayaviu means to take, to drag. Vayakrivu means to draw close. Why Vayakrivu to draw close? It sounds kind of. Vayakrivu means to draw close. That's literally what it means. Why, why would you draw him close? Sure. Should be by a view to direct, to bring, to bring him to Moshe and Aaron and to the whole people. They place him into a prison. Because it's not explicit what to do with him. They, have, they don't have a clarified. There's no parish. They don't know what to do with him. By the way, by Mishmar, who else do we find in Chumash is placed by Mishmar? Yosef. Yosef, Mishmar. So, is there a connection? I don't know. Just struck me about that word, Bamishmar. What might the connection be? I don't know. Hashem says to Moshe, clarifying now what the consequence should be for his having violated Shabbos. We'll have to see exactly what's the violation, gathering wood on Shabbos. If you pick up the Lego off the floor, my violation of Shabbos, what did he do wrong? But I don't know exactly what he did wrong, but what I know is the consequences are grave. Capital punishment. Most, you must, ish, you must die. How? The entire nation shall pelt him with stones. Stoning outside the camp. Why outside the camp? Why not inside the camp? And they take him outside the camp. They stoned him and he died. 
Kashir Tziva Hashem as Moshe, all as God had commanded. So what is going on here? What is, uh, what's going on here? You saw we listed five, six, eight questions already. Who is this Makoshe Shetzim? Why is it mentioned in the, mid, uh, the, why is the Midbar? Why is the desert mentioned? What exactly was his violation? Why did they draw him close instead of dragging him? They placed him into this Mishmar and he gets this horrific capital punishment, the death penalty, which seems a little bit severe. Why was it outside the camp, not inside the camp? We have all these questions. That's what I want to spend our time now exploring exploring together. So let's look at the Mepharshim. Sorry. Let's look at the Mepharshim. Okay. So first, of course, is our trusted Rashi. Let's see what Rashi has to say. Rashi quotes the Sifri and says, this story is a denigration. This story is... Rebuke. It's concealed rebuke of the Jewish people that all they were able to observe was one Shabbos. Hashem gave them a of Shabbos. They made it through one Shabbos. And already by the second Shabbos, there's Shabbos violation taking place. Already by the second Shabbos, Shabbos is being violated. Which means, when is this story taking place according to Rashi? Is it in the right place or it's out of order? Mm-hmm. It has to be after Well, Shabbos was given even earlier, actually. It was given at Mara. Sham Samlo Choku Mishpat Vesat Misham Naso. Choku Mishpat Rashi says they were given Shabbos. Maybe Paraduma, Kibara Ve'em. There's a question exactly which mitzvahs. They were given Shabbos earlier. But all I know is here, you know, last week's parsha, we're talking already about Pesach Sheni. We're in the second year. We're a whole year after the Exodus. We're a whole year after Har Sinai. So, according to Rashi, this story took place much earlier, but was only placed here after the spies. Look at the Sif Seichachamim. How does Rashi come to this conclusion? Perish. Why is Bamidbar? Why are we told Bamidbar? Why are we told where this happened? Not a reference to the fact that they're still in the Midbar, but according to the Sif Seichachamim, Rashi is interpreting in the desert to mean when they first got in the desert. When they first made it into the desert, they kept one Shabbos, and by the second Shabbos, they were already violating it. What do you do with the Gemara and Shabbos? Those learning the Daf Yomi learned it recently. That if the Jewish people had only kept the first Shabbos fully, then no one would have been able to rule over us. We would not be subject to our enemies. Says the Sif Chachamin, you'll have to say there's two different versions. According to one, yes. And according to Rashi, no, they did keep the first Shabbos. It was only the second. We quoted this, that really God gave them Shabbos earlier. According to Rashi, at Mara they weren't given Shabbos to observe, they were given the laws of Shabbos. It was an appetizer, it was a hint, it was an introduction to this concept they will arrive at called Shabbos, but they were not yet 
commanded to observe Shabbos. Says the Sif Sechachami Ulaniyaz Daiti Nira Shilakasha Kol Iker Shishav Lo Nemar Shasu Shem Maisa Malacha El Shiyatsu Lilkot Avalolak Tu Shem Davar Shilakatu Maisa Klau but what do you see from here? What I draw your attention to is that Rashi is explained two important points. Number one, for Rashi, this is out of order. Torah The Torah is not written chronologically, it's written thematically. You have to understand that. If it really occurred much earlier, why is it only placed here? We'll get to that in a moment. But according to Rashi, the Torah is out of order, number one. And number two, Sifsei is explaining for Rashi, why are we given the location? Why are we given Bamidbar? Because Rashi is saying, when did this occur? When they first entered, when they first entered the Midbar. Would there be trees in the Midbar? Um, would no, there be trees? He was gathering trees. Who are these trees? Why are there trees in the midbar? Yeah. The well, they well, had. Of, he was looking for etzim. Right. Yeah, but remember, they had the etzim that Yaakov planted, yeah. uh, okay. and they were carrying them. Okay. So maybe it's not the trees; it was the it's the wood. He gathered wood. wood. Maybe wood. it's a better wood. Etzim. Right. He gathered wood rather than right. to suggest that he gathered tree. Now the Ramban doesn't agree with Rashi. Says the Ramban, Nachmanis, Uluparsha zo samach acharei inyan hamakoshish kiyavu bizman azachar ma'isa hamaragla madarach apshat. Says the Ramban, Pshuto Kimashmao. It appears in the Torah following the episode of the spies, and that's when it happened. Spies failed in their mission. Jewish people cried excessively. God tells them you're going to wander in the desert. And boom, the next story is the Says Ramban, and that's why it tells us Bamidbar. Unlike Rashi. Rashi says Bamidbar in the desert is why? Because when did this happen? When they first came in the desert. Says Ramban, no. The reason it says Bamidbar is to tell you, you know why this episode happened? Because they're still stuck in the Midbar. Had they gone directly into Israel, as was the plan, had the spies not failed and the Jewish people migrated directly into Israel, they would have been at such a spiritual level, this likely would not have happened. So the placement, the word by Midbar telling us where it happened, is in order uh, to remind us again why they were there and they did not go in. The Chizkuni says similarly, I have it in my Numa Kroos Kedolos, but I, don't, I doubt you have it. Says the Chizkuni, Says the Chizkuni, now you understand a little bit of the theme. They were supposed to go in the land, they didn't. Torah then gives us mitzvah specific to the land to remind us what they're missing out on. I.e. the Korbanos, the Mincha and the Nesachim, which are only offered in Yerushalayim and the Beis HaMikdash. And the when you come in the land, you'll have this mitzvah. And Chala, when you enter the land. But Shabbos, does Shabbos apply both in Israel and out of it? Of course. And that's why it says the Chizkuni, it says, even in the desert, you're, you have consequences for Shabbos. In the desert, you're accountable for Shabbos. Though there are mitzvahs which only um, are obligated when you enter the land, Shabbos applies, Shabbos applies everywhere. Okay, now, who was this individual, and what did he do wrong? It says the Dasikenim the Baleatosvos. Says the Dasikenim Amru Rabbeinu Margemar Shabbos says Amalasham Yisrael Shabbos Shniel Oshalto Bam Kol Uma Velasham. Had the Jewish people only observed the second Shabbos, 
Just one Shabbos and we'll all be free. Just the second Shabbos and we'll all be free. Had they observed the second Shabbos, no one could have ruled over us. How do you know this is the second Shabbos? Says the Dazikainim. The take of Lahavayish and Stav of Mitzvah Shabbos, Matzu Makoshish. Right after they were commanded in the Mitzvah of Shabbos, they found the one gathering. And according to the Gemara in Shabbos, Tzadivav, who is the Makoshish? Slavchad. The same Slavchad we just read, who has daughters who come and say, We don't have a father, he died, and we have no brothers. What's the law of inheritance? We deserve a portion. Moshe says, you know, Taka, that's a good question. Let me go find out. Moshe didn't know the answer. Why were they orphans? Where was their father? How had he died? It was not natural causes. Says the Gemara, Tzlafchad was the Mekoshesh Eitzid. How do you know that? Says the Dazikainim. Midechsim Mekoshesh Eitzim B'yom HaShabbos. Eitzim in Beis the B'yom. Ola B'gamatria Tzlafchad. Mekoshesh Eitzim B'yom HaShabbos. Eitzim. With the bays of Biyom, Eitzim, with the bays of Biyom, is the same gematria as Tzlavchad. So, furthermore, adds the Dasikanim, another great insight. What's the connection, according to Rashi, that this is really out of order? That the Tzlavchad, which by the way, if you assume, well, I guess you got to figure out if it's Tzlavchad, yeah, if you assume it's Tzlavchad, then it's certainly out of order. Because the Bnei Tzlavchad came because their father had died before. So why does it put it afterwards when he's actually accountable and put to death? But anyway, in any case, according to Rashi, why is it out of order if really this happened when they first entered the desert? If really it happened right after they were commanded in the mitzvah of Shabbos? So the Dazdakinim tells us, not connecting it to Rashi, but gives us an answer. Because it's placed before the mitzvah of Tzitzis. What's the connection between the individual who gathered wood violating Shabbos and was put to death? With the third paragraph of Shema, the mitzvah of Tzitzis, you gave us a mitzvah of wearing tefillin. And we wear tefillin six days a week, we don't wear them on Shabbos. And this individual, had he been wearing his tefillin, and therefore, the tefillin are a reminder that Hashem's Torah should be in our mouths, he would have remembered Hashem, the head and the heart, the emotion, the intellect have to be directed to you, he would have remembered that he has to observe your law. Hashem, how could you hold him accountable and give him a capital punishment? When the truth is, you are the one, we are the ones who absolves him of the mitzvah of tefillin. He didn't have the tefillin to protect and guard him, to remind him. Says Hashem, Says Hashem, Says Hashem, Maybe you don't have tefillin seven days a week. But I have another reminder. Like you tie a string to your finger, it's a string you tie to your garment. And it's worn not six days a week, it's worn seven days a week. And that reminder is the mitzvah of tzitzis. So according to the Asakanim, that's the connection of the order. That Moshe tried to defend Tzlafchad or whomever it was, to say, it was Shabbos, he wasn't wearing his tefillin, he didn't remember about the mitzvahs. To which Hashem responds, there's no excuse. I have another mitzvah, it's called tzitzis. And that you wear seven days a week, and that is a reminder that you carry with you. We see the tzitzis and we are reminded. Now what did this person do wrong? 
What did the Makoshesh do wrong? <coughs> what did the Makoshesh do wrong? Makoshesh means to gather wood. What Malach is gathering wood? It doesn't say he cooked, it doesn't say he lit a fire, it doesn't say he... What did he do wrong, Makoshesh? <laughs> what Malacha? Gathering What Malacha is gathering wood? But it doesn't say. No. Did he do something more? If not, why is he accountable for gathering? What did he do wrong? It's like the case of the um, the, the child who is going to uh, do wrong. Right, Ashim Sofo, yeah, Ben Sora Mora. But here we're holding him accountable. He hasn't done anything wrong. If if you say that it's an account of what he's going to do, so perhaps there is something wrong. Maybe Mekoshesh itself is a malacha. So here you turn to the Gemara and Shabbos Tadivah. Gemara and Shabbos brings a number of opinions. Amr of Yehuda, Amr Shmuel, Mekoshesh Ma'avir Arba Amos Bershus Arabim Hava. There's a prohibition to carry. He's carrying on Shabbos. There's no Erev in the desert. There's no Erev in the desert. He's carrying, and that is his violation, according to the first opinion, Rav Yehuda. But Masnisa Tana, we learn in a Brisa, a different Tana taught, Tole Shava. You know what his violation was? His violation was, he uh, removed something that was, he plucked something that was growing. Kotzer, Tolesh is a tolda of Kotzer. Kotzer is to pluck or to remove. I'm not allowed to cut a branch, not allowed to pick a fruit. That's a biblical prohibition. The second opinion is Tolish. There were trees, and he cut them down, and that's Tolish. Rabbi Achab Rabbi Yankov Amar Ma'amir Hava. There is a malacha called Ma'amir. Ma'amir is a prohibition to gather that which is detached and scattered. Now, Ma'amir is not violated. It's only violated with Gidule Karka, that which grows from the ground. I said before, if I clean up my kids' toys, they scatter their Lego all over the dining room, and I clean it up, am I violating, am I Makoshish? Am I ma'amer? No, it has to be gedulei karka. It has to be that which grows from the ground. So if the barley spills and falls on the ground and I sweep it up on Shabbos, is that ma'amer? No, it has to be it grows from the ground the first time it grows, not having been collected previously. Maybe ein ma'amer, achar ma'amer. There's a big discussion in the Lama Tess Malachas, what's the halacha of ma'amer? But whatever the halacha is, according to Rabbi Achab that's what the Makoshes violated. So we have three opinions in the Gemara. Did he violate carrying? Did he violate plucking, cutting down? Or did he violate gathering all three Av Malachas, biblical prohibitions of the 39? The Gemara asked, What do I care? He did something wrong. Why do I have to identify and isolate exactly what he did wrong? And the Gemara has a big discussion. The Gemara ends up saying, because, first of all, for Hasra, you know, for, for a warning to be valid, there's a big debate. Do you have to warn the person? Right. Is what you're doing a violation of Shabbos? You know, you could, only, you could only punish a person if they were warned. And part of the warning is you have to warn them exactly what they violated. And there's a the big machlokas. When you warn them what they violated, is enough to warn them what you're about to do is a violation of Shabbos? Or do you have to identify the malacha? Do you have to be specific? What you're about to do violates the following malacha, this creative labor? Or is it enough to say it violates Shabbos? So that's a possible nafkamina in terms of the hasra. Another nafkamina is, what if you do more than one at once? If you do more than one av malacha at the same time, you're liable for each one. If you do an av and a tolda of the same, then you can't get more malacha. So the Gemara has a big discussion there. So there's three opinions. What did he do wrong? This Makoshesh Eitzim, did he gather? Did he cut down?
Or did he walk three Amas? The Gemara there has the continuation. They were in the wilderness and they found a man gathering wood. And then it says later, When the Benot Slavchad come, they say, Our father died in the Midbar. So Rabbi Akiva is of the opinion that just as later at Slavchad, so too here. Either you are destined to give an accounting for what you've just expounded, either way you're in trouble. It's an incredible Gemara. Says Rabbi Yehuda ben Beseret Rabbi Akiva, what you just taught publicly, you're in trouble either way. Why? If you're right, that Tzlachad was the Makoshesh Eitzim, HaTorah Kisatu Ve'atem Megala Osa. The Torah protected his identity. The Torah told it to us anonymously. There was a niche, there was an individual, Makoshesh Eitzim, and you, Rabbi Akiva, revealed it. Ve'imlav, and if you're not right, Atamotzi Laaz Al-Osot Tzadik. Then you're talking Lashon Hara about Tzlachad. You're Motzi Laaz, you're guilty of maligning a righteous man. Says the Gemara, What's Rabbi Yudah B'Mseira's objection? Rabbi Kiva had a Shava. Right? He learned it from a Shava. Gzeir Shava is when you have a word in two separate pasukah, which is the same word, we can apply the concepts from one pasuk to the other. So Rabbi Kiva applied, it says, They were in the desert and they saw a man. And it says, So you have Bamidbar in both places. So why? The, it's a third understanding of why Bamidbar. Maybe to connect the Gzer Shavat Rashi's reason of Bamidbar was to tell us it happened right when they got in the desert. The Ramban's reason of Bamidbar was why did it happen? Because they're still in the Midbar. They should be in Israel. Now a third understanding of Bamidbar is the Gzer Shava to teach us it was Tlavchad. So Rabbi Akiva had a Gzer Shava. What did he do wrong? Why is Rabbi Yudim B'Sera challenging him? Gzer Shava lo Gamar. Because Rabbi Yudim B'Sera didn't have that Gzer Shava. Elamehacha So how did he know that Rabbi Akiva died because of this? It came about from the sin described in the verse, they defiantly ascended the mountaintop. So according to Rabbi Yudim Becerra, why did Slavcha die? Not because he was gathering stones, uh, gathering uh, trees. Why did he die? He was among those who tried to ascend the mountain. They defiantly ascended the mountain in the story of Harsinai. So, two different understandings in the Gemara why Tzlavcha died, one actually is a noble understanding, as we'll see in a moment. Because Tosfos and Baba Basra, and Dafkuf Yotes, gives us a reason. But first, let's look at the Orachayim HaKadosh. Because the Orachayim has, has a little bit of what I said. It says the Orachayim on Vayu B'nai Yisrael B'Midbar, Herosh, B'zeh Hu Shenech Shavlo Chilo Shabbos, L'Hizchayev Misa. Now we have a fourth understanding of why the word Bamidbar is used. Because they were in the Midbar, a place with no Erev, a place which is not a Rishasayachad, a Karmelis, a Makam Ptur, those learning the Daf know exactly what I'm talking about. So because they were Bamidbar, it was a Rishis Arabim, it was a public thoroughfare. One violates the prohibition of Hotsa of carrying when one carries, or Mavir I should say, when one carries four Amas, four cubits in a Rishis Arabim. So says the Orachayim, this is a hint what the violation is. That Vayu B'nei Yisrael Bamidbar and they were in the Midbar, a place which is a Rishus HaRabim, and they found the Makoshish Eitzim was violating Mavir, carrying in that Rishus HaRabim. A fourth explanation of why we're introduced with the word Bamidbar. What you see, by the way, is what I've always tried to teach. They were bothered by the Bamidbar. 
We might just read the parsha. Oh, Bamidbar, okay. They were bothered if one was reading the psukim analytically with great detail, attention to detail, were bothered by extraneous words or descriptions. So there's this extra word, Bamidbar, and we now have four ex- possible explanations of why it's there. Continues the Orachayim HaKadosh. The Rambam in Hakoshavis Perak Yedalad, Mimasha Mona Midbar Bachlarishes Arabim, Velochilakimatsim, Israelishin Matsuim, Pirashti, Babahiburi, Bechafat Hashem, Hibati, Mechurfish, Aram, and Farish Debra Bayal Zadera. He now goes into the Rabbim. Is the desert of Shis Arabim only when the Jewish people are there? Or is the desert of Shis Arabim when they're not there? But leave this aside, it's a technical discussion here. But he explains that's why it's a Rishus Rabbim when the Jewish people are there, and that's why the Makoshishim is introduced with because the Jewish people are there, that's why it was a violation. But if it's a second month and it's enclosed by the Nanya Kavai, it's not enclosed, those aren't machitzas, it doesn't create walls around it. It's not a Rishus Yachid. Remember, where do we learn the 39 Malachas from? By definition, we know it's a Rosh Hashanah. Where do we learn the 39 Malachas? The Mishkan. The Gemara, we learned it in Shabbos, Davav, and Erevin, Davav. The same Daf in Shabbos and Erevin deals with the four Rishuyos. Davav and Shabbos and Erevin. So, Gemara asks this question, where was the Rosh Hashanah in the Midbar? Says the Gemara because, right, the Gemara talks about under the wagons. You remember? Between the wagons, under the wagons. And there's a big discussion. Rashi says to be a Rosh Hashanah in order to be a public thoroughfare on a biblical level, it has to have 600,000. Where did you get the number 600,000? That was the number of men above the age of 20. So you have uh, the Rosh Hashanah, the origin, the source of Rosh Hashanah itself is in the Midbar. And the Makosh Hashanah was carrying in that Rosh Hashanah. Okay. Look at Rashi, continuing in the Psukim. Hamotim Mosom Mekoshish, Shehisrubo Valohiniach Melekoshish Avkeshimatsu Vehisrubo. The Gemara and Sanhedrin, the Sifri, say, How do we know that they warned him? Because he was put to death. And you can't be put to death if you weren't warned. Sahamotsim Oso. It says, Vayakrivu Oso Hamotsim Oso. Who are the ones who brought him close? Those who found him. What is the responsibility of those who found him? They're accountable because they gave the Hasra, they gave the warning. But they didn't know what to do with him. What do you mean they don't know what to do with him? Says Rashi, Kilaporash Mayasa, Lohayu Yodim Beezamisa Yumas. They knew that he dies. They knew that violation of Shabbos is a capital crime. But they weren't sure which punishment to give. There are four different types of, of capital punishment Skila, Srefa, Herig, and Chenek. Four different types. So they weren't sure which type the one who violates Shabbos receives. That's why they put him in prison. They incarcerated him until they can determine. And Hashem came back and said, Skila. They get stoning. Why does it say they took him outside? You see from the Sifri, from here we learn that the place of the capital punishment is outside the camp. It's far away from Beisden. Why? Why is the place of execution far away from the Beisden? I would think that the courthouse would be much more efficient for the prison to be connected to the courthouse you find the party guilty, they put him, send them right to the chair. Send them right to the platform to stone him. Push him off the edge of the, of the platform where he dies. Okay. Pour the hot lead down his throat for the chenek. Why not have it right there? Oh, so the Mishnah in Sanhedrin tells us an incredible value of the Jewish legal system. You know why we have it far away? We want to prolong the opportunity for new evidence to come to light which might exonerate him. In other words, this is 
public defenders min Torah minayin. How do you know the concept of our effort to try to exonerate the accused? Because the Torah goes to far lengths. First of all, understand that in order to actually execute, we all know the Mishnah that says that a court that executes once in 70 years is called a bloody court. This hardly, if ever, took place, execution. To execute, you needed two witnesses. The odds of two witnesses seeing something are not great. Two witnesses had to qualify as the halachic criteria of witnesses. Servant, not related, not gamble, so on and so forth. The two witnesses, there had to be two people who saw, two people who have to qualify meeting the criteria of kosher witnesses. They have to have given a hasra, given a warning in advance. The warning has to have made a, according to some opinions, they have to quote chapter and verse. They have to literally quote the pasuk of what violation is going to be violated. Then they have to come and give testimony. It can't be circumstantial. You see that the, the, it's so improbable to actually execute. But here they executed. So here we know they did everything right. So anyway, the, where does the execution take place? Far away from the Beisden. The Mishnah Sanhedrin describes what would happen. They would begin to take the guilty party and ride him. And they had a person. And they would station someone far back with a flag. So that if someone came to court and says, I have more evidence... They would wave the flag, they'd bring him back, and they'd reopen the trial. And says the Mishnah, you do that as many as a hundred times. As long as it's credible, the new evidence, we do it a hundred times and more. Because we do all that we can to spare his life and to review and to exonerate him if, if necessary. So you see, that's what's, uh, that's what's taking place here. Now, here's an incredible thing. Tzlafchad. Good guy or bad guy? Good guy or bad guy? It's pretty wild. The Slavchad. I mean, Slavchad, you get the impression from his daughters. We name children after his daughters. For a long time, I felt a close kinship with Slavchad. You get the impression Slavchad was probably a good guy. He raised good daughters. So what, he's gathering wood. So I'll tell you an unbelievable Tosos from Baba Basra. Tosos Baba Basra, Kufiotes, says the following. Says the Tosos like whom? Like the Ramban. That the story happened right after the episode of the Meraglim. Tosos quotes the Medrash that what Slavchad did was noble. Noble? How is violating Shabbos ever noble? The Jewish people thought, you know what, it's, it's canceled, we're not going into Israel. Well, if Eretz Yisrael is nullified, maybe Torah Yisrael is nullified. Maybe Am Yisrael is nullified. If we're not realizing the dream, if not fulfilling the mission, then the whole mission becomes not only diluted, it becomes nullified. That's what they thought. So what happens? What does Slavcha do? Amar v'chilo Shabbos. He stood up and violated Shabbos. Kedeshe So that he would be put to death. V'yiru achirim. And everyone would see, you know what? You're not in Israel. Shabbos is still relevant. Torah is still relevant. Halacha is still relevant. And he basically sacrificed his own life. He died. Others saw, and they didn't violate Shabbos again the rest of the time in the desert. Slavchad. Who was the one that 
you said that gave this interpretation. The Medrash. Tosfos is quoting the Medrash. Tosfos is quoting the Medrash that this is Stavchad and this is what and this is what he did. He violated Shabbos in order to teach in order to teach others. Wow. Now that leads to a great question. A question we're not going to look at right now. I found in my folder that apparently I prepared this whole class that I never taught on on uh, this question of. Are you allowed to violate a law with noble intentions? Can you do an Avera L'Shem Shamayim? Do we excuse in a person who does an Avera L'Shem Shamayim? What should Slavcha's legacy be? Is he a great man because he was willing to die in order to impress upon the people the relevance of Torah? Or do we say, that's nice, teach them, start a lunch and learn, start a Parsha class, but you can't violate Shabbos. You can't do an Avera even if it's L'Shema. What is the concept of an Avera Lashma? We're not going to address it. But I want to, it's, I guess you could view it as a mitzvah, but Bavera, a mitzvah of teaching them the significance of Torah, but through an Avera, you could call it an Avera Lashma, that he was doing a violation of God's will for God's will. You could call it a Chatei B'Shvil Shatizke Chavercha. Maybe you remember we did in Mesech Shavas Tavches the discussion in Radius Apas, but there's a discussion about can you sin to save your fellow man? So, this is a big discussion which is much broader than our topic. But I want to end. Yes, Mal. I just want to point out that perhaps this Interesting. Right, so Mali points out that maybe Hashem's positive answer to Tzlavchad reflects his having forgiven Tzlavchad or his kind of implicit endorsement of what Tzlavchad did. Maybe. Or you could say you don't punish daughters because of the father and they had no brothers, they deserve land. So you could see it, you could see it both ways. But I want to end with an interpretation of the Heligar of Shlomo Karbach, Zichron Levracha. He says, you know, we know the Makoshish was not a simple year. They're putting out volumes on Chumash called Evan Shlema. Rab Shlomo's... Uh, Rabbi Shlomo's parish on Torah. So in the Evan Shlema it says, the Mekoshish was not a simple Yid. He was so afraid that we're not going into Israel for 40 years, people would start saying the whole Torah is invalid. So he had to be Mechal Shabbos and Mamash be stoned to death just, just to show Yidin the Torah is still there, even if Eretz Yisrael is not there. So it says Rabbi Shlomo, friends, let it be clear to you, the Mekoshish Echim is the one who gave us strength until Mashiach to keep the Torah when we're in exile. It's clear from the Zohar HaKadosh the Zohar says that the Mekoshesh was one of the highest pupils of Moshe Rabbeinu. I want you to know the deepest depths. When Avram Avinu went up to the Akedah, it says, Vayivaka atzei ola. He split the wood. It says in the Zohar that Avram Avinu was paving the way for the Mekoshesh Eitzim. Givalt Avram was splitting the wood because Avram was going on a Mesiris Nefesh with Yitzchak and the Mekoshesh Eitzim was ready to die for Shabbos. Says Rabbi Shlomo that according to the Zohar, there's a connection between Avram splitting the wood with the Akedah, and here Tzlavchad gathering the wood. Like Avram was willing to risk, Yitzchak was ready to give his life for the Jewish people, the Mekoshish Eitzim gave his life for the Jewish people. And that the Mekoshish Eitzim not, should not be remembered in history as a villain, but rather as a hero. It's from this story that we read in this parsha says Rabbi Shlomo, that we gather the strength in the exile. Sitting in Boca Raton, we say, you know, 
we don't have a Beis HaMikdash, we don't have Hashoraz HaShchina, the Geul is not complete. Well, if Eretz Yisrael is not complete, then maybe Torah Yisrael doesn't apply either. Maybe Am Yisrael doesn't apply either. So let me go live in a country club. Let me go assimilate. Let me go to the beach on Shabbos. Let me go eat a cheeseburger. What's the relevance or significance of it all? It was the Makoshish who gave us the strength and reminded us that even without the redemption, even without being in Israel, nevertheless, Torah is still relevant. It's still significant. It's still binding. It's still enriching. So he's the one who gave us the strength and, uh, and therefore perhaps there's a connection between the Vayivaka Atzei Ola, the splitting of the Atzei, the wood, and the Makoshish Eitzim, the wood of the Makoshish Eitzim. Have a fantastic rest of the week and a great Shabbos.